evening, everyone, um, on this wet and blustery evening. Um, I would like to call the Economic Development Subcommittee and Steering Committee meeting for November 30th to order. Uh, it is time being 5, let's see, uh, 48. Tonight, we, um, let me read this, a note to residents, all citizens are welcome to attend a public board and committee meetings in person. Additionally, in an effort to maximize citizen engagement opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone or from Zoom. The meetings are also live streamed by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast 11 and Verizon Channel 29. The link to the access of the meeting is at the EDC Plus Steering Committee agenda, and you can open the Zoom uh, link on that agenda, or you can call in at 1-929-205, that's 1-929-205-6099, and enter the meeting ID number 8830731. That's 8830731913132. Then press the pound number. Okay, we um, we have with us in the chambers Councillor Sheridan, Councillor Frangillo, Councillor Jones, and Greg Rondo of the Planning Board. Um, not is is Bruce on Zoom? Because I can't see anybody. Here's right here. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Hunchard is on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, Beth, it could not make it tonight. I don't think she can zoom in. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't see if anybody's there. So, Bruce, Bruce, if you raise your hand, I won't be able to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's just way better. <laughs> Everybody's like, yay! I'm only kidding. I, I think I heard you, Bruce. Thanks. There's someone else. Is there somebody else there? All right, I think it's gonna, it's gonna start ramping up, so we'll just have, um, we're gonna, tonight we're gonna talk about um, the, the item on the agenda last meeting that we didn't get to really discuss at all, which was the inclusionary zoning bylaw. Um, and really what it is, is that it's about affordable housing for people that um, make le lower than 80% of the median income here in Franklin. So, uh, I, and a lot of other, all of the other municipalities around us already have this law, this but in their bylaw. But we're going to talk about it tonight and hopefully um, move this on to the full council to then go to the planning board right, to discuss. So it's like the beginning of a long discussion. So I'm looking at the, the monitor in front of me and I can't see anybody, but um, I am going to have, who, Jamie, do I throw it to you, Jamie, first or to Brian? Sure. Jamie. Thank you, Madam Chair. So um, I think after the last the discussion at the last meeting, um, you're right, the, the group talked about the density issues, but I think the inclusionary zoning was always 
There's also kind of Ingram in, in, intermingled into that. Um, if folks want a a if folks want a breakdown of the bylaw for um, that's being proposed, I'd ask Brian maybe to come up and walk through a very brief overview of the goal of the inclusionary zoning bylaw and the main components. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Jamie. Brian. Good evening. Um, Brian Sperner, Director of Planning and Community Developments. Um, inclusionary zoning. Um, what that is would mean for this community, it passed as, um, as recommended here, is that any multifamily residential development uh, that is being permitted would have to have at least 10% affordable housing. 10% um, of the units, and they have to be, uh, they have to qualify for the state, the uh, uh, SHI, which is um, the Housing Input Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blanking right now, it's been a rough week one. So the um, inclusionary units, housing units, they have to um, uh, be the local, go through the, the local initiative program after the local action units, and and, um, and that being specified, it was saying is specified by the Commonwealth Department of Housing Community Development. Mm -hmm. So they're very specific um, requirements. You can't just say, well, this is going to be affordable, and a few years later it's not affordable. They are, um, unless otherwise noted, they would be in perpetuity. Um, so, and this is for any, um, so what we would be doing is if uh, we did pass the other bylaw regulation, um, it would they would go hand in hand, in hand the one on the density. So this would be for any, um, development that is for five or more uh, units okay so uh, if, if it was um okay so I'll just I'm just gonna I'm sorry go for it it's okay so last um, last meeting there was a, a confusion about <clears throat> is it for because because in the bylaw it says four or more um, on applicability, any project in one. Um, it says four or more on the schedule, six. It did mention five or more on one of the versions that we got. Right. And then we got a version that had four. And then this time we didn't get the schedule table in the agenda. So we yeah. just, we I think most people just want to know what it is. want to keep everybody uh, guessing on yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so, <laughs> so it was just like one of those things we just wanted to clear that up. Right. I think that would so, probably be one of the easy things. Like, so you met, you said five. Yeah. It, it, okay. It, I guess we have not updated the inclusionary zoning bylaw. That yeah. wording there. I'm sorry. Uh, it it's is okay. What we're proposing for the reason I'll save you the reason in a minute, but it's for any multifamily development with five or more housing units. Mm -hmm. Are required to address the affordable housing requirements in the new section 18551, which is included in the zoning bylaw. Um, and the reason is, if it's it's only 10% of the housing units, 10% of say four units is less than half 
So if you go into the um, <coughs> zoning, if it's 0.5 or more, then it is, it's, it's counted as a one. So if it's, um, and it would have to be at least at five units for it to count as one. All right. Because so you count up. It count up, it count up if it gets to 0.5, it goes up. If it's it goes point to four, one. If it were 0.49, it would not zero. Correct. Correct. Okay. That's, I think we all understand that. Okay. So, okay. Um, so in general, that's where we're at. Uh, there are, um, variety of details in here uh, for um, the amount of, of units, the timing on the, uh, the you know, the timing on market rights and inclusion. So say so you had a 50 unit apartment uh, complex come in and, uh, or say what it's actually, apartment complex is a little more typical, but if you had a, a condominium complex where they were building uh, certain amount of units at a time or whatever, there is a, uh, you would have to go by the schedule here in section G on which, uh, how many uh, market rate units can be built uh, before you get to the inclusion of the units, things of that nature. So it tries to keep, tries to be fair with the developers, but at the same time, we don't want the last 10% of the units to be the inclusion of it, um, because though that, you know, sometimes things happen and they don't get built. Um, you know, so we try to make sure that certain percentages go on. Um, Could, can I interrupt you for a second yes, just yeah. to clarify this? So while the builder is building these units, then they have to, when they get to 30%, um, then they have to have at least one Correct. One affordable unit. Right. If built. somebody had, in the apartment complex situation scenario, it doesn't really work, obviously. Mm -hmm. Unless it's separate buildings, of course. But uh, if, if you had a, um, a condominium complex and you're building a 10 four unit uh, developments or whatever the case may be, once you've built 30%, you know, up to 30%, you can actually sell those units without, you know, without them being inclusionary units in there. Once you get up to that point there, though, you have to at least have, um, then you go, 10% of the affordables have to be done at that at the next step. Um, okay. So yeah. I think the uh, there is a provision for um, inclusionary housing units offsite in, in this bylaw. Um, so as an alternative to the norm of having uh, inclusionary zoning units, inclusionary un right on site with the regular uh, units, um, the, the applicants it can uh, construct uh, units of equivalent in an offsite location. Um, and one of those things that happens is you have very, very expensive um, you know, condominiums or something like that nature, and um, it's, it's very difficult to have a three-quarter million dollar market rate and a $250,000 inclusionary in the same development. It, it can be very, very difficult. Um, but uh, all the requirements of the bylaw apply to on-site provision uh, of the inclusion. So they also they apply both on-site and off-site. Um, let me see if there's anything else might be applied, uh, interesting. But I think uh, the the, pres the preservation of inclusion uh, the restrictions have to be on 
the affordable units and it has to be in perpetuity. Um, and those are the highlights in the in here. And I think that um, the one thing that I, I mentioned that we did talk at the last meeting about the uh, housing density changes that were changed, we're recommending at the same time. Mm -hmm. The inclusionary zoning bylaw could be approved without doing that other regulation. However, um, I do, I, you know, I think there are reasons to do both of them, and one, of course, is the uh, MBT communities and, and, uh, and the other regulations that we're dealing with this time. So, um, inclusionary bylaw is extremely important. I recommend we going forward as, uh, you know, as quick as you're comfortable with it. But having the other uh, bylaw um, parallel at the same time would be ideal. Okay. Thank you, Brian, so much for that dis description and, and uh, clarifi clarification tonight. I think um, Bruce is on Zoom. He's had his hand up the whole time <laughs> we were talking, so I'm going to go to Bruce. Want, yeah, I didn't want you to miss me. <laughs> I can't miss you. <laughs> Am I free to go? Go ahead, yeah. All right, I, get, uh, I, I want to follow up on a question that uh, Greg Ronco and I asked last time. I'm looking in the uh, memorandum here about the, uh, you know, you say it's only 10%, but yet if you only build in four units, it's 25%. If you build in 10 units, it's going to be 20%. If you build in 50 units, it might be 10%, which go to five. I mean, what it is, which, which, is, which are we going to stand for? I mean, you know, you, you'd be asking somebody that's building a small project for four, and you, may, you want them to put an affordable in. I can understand you asking for it, but you're not giving them anything for it, other than the right to build a four-unit building. Uh, the other thing is, you're saying you could build some off-site. Um, if you if you had a 50 condo project that was selling for 750,000 piece, does that mean that the guy could go downtown and build a five uh, affordable or inclusionary zoning building with five, uh, you know, affordable units? That, you know, that's something else that's got to be looked at too, because that, that's an out for somebody the way it's written. You know, it doesn't say they all have to be the same, but. Um, you know, Greg brought it up last time I did too. I actually found out, I found, I had the thing again, and I found out where it says if you build four or more units, you got to put one affordable in it. So that doesn't make any sense because that's 25%. If you're looking for people to develop in these areas downtown, you know, you're asking for too much. The other thing I want to bring up on that, on the, on the previous zoning issue was I mentioned the 2,000 square feet, one unit for 2,000 square feet as opposed to 2,750. And I haven't heard anything about that, and I haven't seen that change or even uh, discussed. So those are my comments. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Bruce. Um, I think we already already addressed the number one issue that you had, that it's not four or more, it's five or more units. Yeah. No, he, 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 it's, it's written as four. You said right. five, you one. But if you're building six, then you're probably going to have to build two, which doesn't make any sense either. You know, it all depends how you want to add the numbers up. That's what I'm saying. You know, okay. it's got to be a little bit clearer. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go to Brian. I'd like to clarify on that. Yeah. So it, it is um, five. That's the number we're dealing with. Okay. So if you had 10% of five units is 0.5. So if you get to 0.5, you need to include an inclusionary unit. If, so if you had six, 10% is 0.6, that's over 0.5, but it, you know. So if you go all the way up to, uh, what, 14? 
15? So yeah, 14 is still one. Right. So before you get to that second unit, if you have, um, so yes. So anything five or more have at least something in there, but most of the small stuff, I only have one affordable unit until you get up to the, the little bit bigger uh, problems. So I hope that clarifies a little bit. If you had, if you have 30 units, you need to have three affordable units. Uh, so it, it's it's a lot different than we were talking about a couple of years ago when we were talking 25%. Right. Um, and uh, so, and the reason for is, I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that MBTA is saying no more than 10% affordables uh, in the MBTA half mile area, the MBTA uh, zoning district or whatever they want to call it. Uh, so um, it would have been nice to give us the flexibility to decide for ourselves what they're saying. If you want to do it, you, know, you have to have you have to have multifamily, but you can only have up to ten percent of it. So uh, the way it's written out. All right. Uh, what else did we have that he was concerned about? The what about what? the offsite stuff, Brian? The offsite. If somebody built yeah. ten projects, 10, ten units, can they build three, go two offsite somewhere else? Yeah. Um, no, I, I understand what you're saying, and if, if you look at the wording, um, it may not be perfect. I would change the word, wording a little bit if you'd like, but I think we, we're we giving an option for the offsite. And, and um, if you have an apartment building, the hope is that the apartment building, everything's going to be in there, right? All your affordables will be in the building itself. When you have condominiums and people are dealing with market rate, it can be very difficult to get those affordable units uh, in, in the same area. Not possible because it's done with even uh, you know, 40Bs with where, where you have a condominium complex and you have the the, the affordables mixed in. Um, you know, like we have a couple of, that would, the one specifically right now that was just permitted um, as uh, as Bruce uh, and knows, that one there, it's, if those, if those were a little bit more money and a, a developer decided that he can't uh, put those uh, affordables on the same site, then it gets the, uh, it's up to the, the town to decide whether this is appropriate. Um, the uh, planning board would approve the offsite location um, and uh, it would be, it, in, as with the wording says, it's an integral element of the multifamily housing <coughs> permit review and approval process. So if it looks like they're just trying to get away with something and giving you a real uh, garbage, if you will, instead of giving you a good quality product, then the planning board can turn that down and say, no, we cannot, that can't, be, can't go there. We don't want to be overly restrictive, but we want to make sure that the planning board has the decision. To, uh, to say yes, that is uh, that's appropriate location and appropriate units um, for the for the town. Um, you did talk about quickly. You did, did talk about the possibility of changing. Um, uh, Bruce brought this up a couple weeks ago, and again, uh, going from 2750, which is a little more than 15 units uh, per acre, to is straight across 2,000, which is uh, which is what's allowed now um, by right in the downtown commercial district, allowing all three zoning districts uh, that would have multifamily 
uh, by right, having them up to do that and all the same. I really, the only reason uh, I'm thinking that we want to stick with closer to 15 is that um, when you get a little bit farther out away from the train stations and the downtown, um, <coughs> allowing uh, the 2,000, which is uh, one, one acre is 20, 22 and a half, 23 acre uh, units of housing. It's really allowing it by right doesn't give the planning board any, uh, you know, the, the ability to say, no, it's a little bit too dense there. When you say it's by right, uh, if you go with the 15, which is the MBTA requirement, um, then we're meeting the needs of, of the state, we're meeting the needs of that regulation, and we're giving the planning board um, the ability to regulate anything above that size. That's the reason that we were we proposing what was established. You guys clarify that we're, we're not discussing that piece uh, that, today. That is correct. We are discussing the inclusionary zoning piece right now. Okay. okay. I mean, I think we all have a lot of other things we want to add to the other um, density piece. So um, I'd like to keep this separate for now. Um, I know it all goes hand in hand at the end of the day. We want all these things to go through and to be compliant, but um, I think we need to focus on what's on our agenda right now because we have a lot of stuff we have to talk about. Um, I want to know if anybody up here wants to speak, and then um, I know we have people in the audience who like to say something. So um, I'm going to go with Council Frangillo and then Greg Rondo after. Okay? Okay. So uh, thank you. I uh, thanks for, for doing all this. It's, it's a lot of work, and, and I want to first express my uh, support for the concept of inclusionary zoning as uh, in terms of making sure that as we um, continue to grow as a community, that uh, we have a healthy mix of uh, income levels and, and uh, you know diversity of people that are able to uh, live here in Franklin. Often that means uh, young professionals like me, as well as uh, some of our elders, um, though, though not always. Um, my, my fear with inclusionary zoning is that if set at the wrong level, then a, a project can become unfinanceable, and we end up with fewer uh, homes, which is a, a worse outcome than uh, just allowing all homes uh, to be market rate, right? And studies have, have uh, found this to be true, right? When set at the wrong level, uh, when when inclusionary zoning comes in, it just means that fewer homes ever get made. It drives the cost of every other home up because um, you, you've now driven the, the supply down. And so I want to make sure that we get this right, right? Because at the end of the day, we're trying to make sure that we're producing uh, units that are affordable for, um, everyone to, to uh, live in Franklin, um, and we don't want to <coughs> put something in that just stalls development that drives um, rents up. So my, my question, I guess my first question would be how we arrived at this number, and if you believe, and maybe why you believe that a project is financeable at one affordable unit out of five to 14. Oh, Jamie has his hand up, so I'm going to let him start to answer that question. My hand was high. 
<laughs> Thanks, Jared. <clears throat> this is the balancing act, Councillor Fragillo, I think, of where you see Dean Ave 117 station, you get 270 units in there at 25%, 20%. Some of the logic that you propose could certainly be true. Uh, would that project have been done with a higher percentage or a higher cap a percentage of affordable units? You know, possibly. I can't predict that. We, it's all hypothetics. Um, MBTA Communities is killing our ability to do that and look at higher numbers because within that zone of a half mile, really, we're now capped by state rule at 10%. I think even before that rule came out, which was kind of thrown a curveball recently about a month ago, the staff had already been talking about the 10% number. Why? If you look at other comparable, like another town, for example, maybe not comparables, but you look at a community like Framingham, just for an illustrate, illustration, they do one out of every 10. And I think 10% is your threat, right? Everyone knows that number from Chapter 40B. Developers may get weary and a little, a little nervous about 15, 20, 20% or other things like that. So, but going at below 10, it's a moot point. Why bother? And if you do the numbers, like I think you've done, at 22 units per acre, if the, if the group went to that and said by right 22 units, you're really still only getting a couple units that are affordable. And with all due respect to the developers and the community and the builders, yeah, that to Bruce and other comments, I'm not saying that he's wrong. But I think it's the least a builder could do is take a complex of 22 units and say we're gonna still deed two of those affordable. Right now, we're the only town in this area that does not have any inclusionary zoning bylaw at all. So while I think at the end of the day, your comments are completely true, um, the 10% number is kind of just going right down the middle and saying this is a fair, reasonable percentage for any builder to build into their financial models. It will take, to your point a moment ago, I think some time for the development community or outside investors that aren't from Franklin, some time to acclimate to that 10% number. But I think we've seen in other communities is eventually after a certain amount of years, it just becomes part of doing business. Just like when we implemented the stretch code, 10 years or eight years ago, there was yelling and screaming beyond relief. The room was packed with people. How dare the council think about doing this? And then six or seven years later, it just became the new industry standard. So I, I, we've talked about this as a staff about going higher, having bonuses or this, that, or the other thing. And I think we all came back to the conclusion that in order for more global support among people who want higher percentages of affordable or no affordables, kind of like Bruce was pointing out a minute ago, 10% seems to be a reasonable number I think we hopefully all can get consensus on. So can I, can I clarify that, that that was helpful uh, and, and I agree with it all. My, my concern is not with uh, the percentage. Oh, okay. uh, my, my concern is rather, because I, I agree, right? And I think we all agree. Something like uh, 117, uh, you know, where it's 200 units, they certainly could have afforded, you're, they're taking such a margin off each unit that they certainly could have afforded to put in uh, affordable and that would be uh, beneficial to the town. My fear is not <coughs> with, uh, the percentage, but rather the number at which we start, uh, the number of units, the size of building, uh, at which we start mandating that you sure. build affordable. Because, uh, you know, they're not, 
developers, especially the sort of developers that we want to prep, uh in Franklin, where they're local and they're not, they don't have you know limitless pockets. The only way that uh, they're able to to build a, a project is if is by going to the to uh, the bank for a loan and saying, here's you know here's a profit that I'm I'm looking to make. Here's how much. Uh, um, uh, I'm going to have to uh, pay an interest, and they have to make that project financeable. And so, if one out of uh, five units has to be affordable, that might not be able to get. They might not be able to make profit on that. And if they can't make profit on it, it just never gets built. Uh, I don't know if the number is uh, one in five. I, I sense that it's it's much higher than that. But I'm I'm wondering if we have uh, you know any numbers or, or a better sense of where that comes uh, in. We did talk uh, a few years ago. Um, I know Brian's gone through many iterations. This Brian, at one point, we did talk about nine. But then, what do you do between, you know, three and nine? And do you is the is the community comfortable with, you know, basically zero to eight, or zero to nine, or like Framingham, a one for ten is an easy ratio to understand, right? You know, at some point, a number has to just get chosen. And I think we can hypothesize about the fear of nothing being built or being built or nothing, but the cost of inaction has essentially, for the town of Franklin, led to, for decades, nothing being built, nothing being deeded. And so I think there is a striking balance. I, I can't say that any one of us, including the planning department or any of the staff, have that perfect number. I think when we looked at the three family and thought that's a desirable kind of structure in downtown from, from, a, a vis from a vantage point of visibility, a touch and a feel, okay, let's do three. We'll do the three families. You know, that seems to be doable. Four and over, you're gonna get maybe a teardown or two. You're gonna get a couple parcels merged. You might get some duplexes uh, with uh, two units on the bottom, two units on the top, that's four. Is it reasonable for one of those four, which in this bylaw wouldn't qualify. Let's say you did five, or even if it was six, three, three, is one out of six reasonable? I, I don't know, but I think that what we're looking for is if there's a number that the EDC committee wants, we should just make an amendment and say, why don't we debate eight? Let's debate seven, ten. <clears throat> you know, we're not, I don't think we're all sitting here wedded that we've got the perfect bulletproof proposal. Um, you know, I, I want to allow others to, to, to jump in, so I'll, I'll make this my, my last comment for now, but uh, I, I think that. It doesn't have to be a complete, my sense is that it doesn't have to be a complete guessing game. Like at the end of the day, it's just math and, right, like there's some um, amount that land costs, that building costs, um, and so there are inclusionary zoning calculators that allow, we have developers in town, uh, but there's some, there's some number, so I don't think that we have to uh, completely guess. I get the sense that, uh, okay, there, the, you know, a, a developer is obviously going to, uh, you know, want to play it on the safe end, and we, we might not. And so there's going to be a little bit of wiggle room, but at some point, there's, uh, it uh, it gets close. And I have a sense that it's much, much higher than than five. Um, yeah. Maybe Bruce or some of the other folks. Great. I, I don't know. Well, I've got to let, let Greg go can. next. Are you yeah. done with the floor? Done with the floor. Yeah. Yeah, they, All right. So I'm going to go to Greg, and then I'm going to go to the audience after that. Yeah, I just uh, through the chair um, to Bruce's point um, with off-site um, building. If they opt to take that route, would it be done simultaneously with the planning board so you know what site you're getting? 
they, they can work in conjunction so you're not getting one site and then all of a sudden they become right. planned when we say no for a particular reason that we get a situation that not look good. So I think it should be done simultaneously so we all know what we're going to see. That's that way. That is that is that is Say yes or no to the off-site site, correct? Site, correct? Right. correct? Yeah. And I just uh, one other quick question. This particular uh, bylaw is this very similar to a uh, surrounding towns? Like, is this almost like a cookie cutter to theirs too? So you got a different guy coming from different towns. You know, is this one very similar to the surrounding towns, or are we way off the charts with what we're doing? From what I have seen in the, the research that we have done is this is this is not extreme by any means um, the 10 percent affordable um it's i mean there are some differences in some of the some of the other communities but this is um it's it's Pretty much it's, it's really the same general uh structure of the of the, the bylaw the same general uh, components in it um and they just take it um whether you allow it has to be ten percent or whether they start at eight units, you know, nothing you know, nothing under eight units or whatever the case there are differences here and there. Uh, but in general this is a easy uh, easy to understand uh, regulation and uh, it's not overly uh, excessive uh, compared to the other ones. Thank you, Brian. I just have one more quick comment uh, to Kobe's point. Um, if if everybody who sits in this room is listening to homes piece property town franklin always holds money in its value so if a developer comes in he wants to build a building the numbers will work for because he knows he's going to get his money back great school system please about five five so the value is there right he's willing to put a little bit more money on the table to make this happen the town of franklin's got some good base so mm -hmm. you gotta always remember that. that's all Thank you, Greg. Um, I'm going to go out to the audience. I see a hand raised. Want to come up and uh, give us your name and address? Hello there, Joe Halligan. I was actually on the planning board and all this came forward. I actually saved the day that night. This whole Affordable Housing Act and the inclusionary zoning was dead on arrival. It took me about an hour to get all my board members rallied together and we had a unanimous vote to save that which went along with the council vote which went to the state and I've read since that we've got our certificate of compliance or whatever you want to call it. I just feel like uh, I watched the, I've been watching the meetings, feel really involved in this, I believe we need affordable housing, inclusionary zone, but I think the cart's in front of the horse. We're all talking great, it all looks good, it makes great headlines, but we have to assure it can be built. We need to know the building can be built before we put this in place. We can put this in place, but the developer still can't build. And I'm going to give you just a slight example. I might touch on a couple of the things that were talked last week, but I promise it won't be long. So I did some homework all around the downtown. A lot of it's residential five, close to the downtown, which is walkable to all the downtown. 95% of all the lots are non-conforming. You need 100 feet of frontage. So, You'd have to go to the ZBA, get a special permit or variance. But I took three random homes, and we're basically a victim of our own success in Franklin because the home values are high. So it sounds nice, oh, a developer will just tear down three homes and build a house. Well, I took uh, four random homes closer to Dean Ave, just small homes, not big lots, six, seven, eight thousand square foot lots, 
and I took the assessed values. We know nobody in Franklin sells for the assessed value, they're all worth more, but I'll use the low figure. One was 453, one was 465, one was 340, one was 388,000. Together I was able to accumulate 34,000 square feet at a cost of a million six. That's prior to teardown construction. Small generic homes that would be beautiful for teardowns to be close to town. We'll put the cart in front of the horses. In residential five, you can only use 35% of the land in residential five. So out of 34,000 square feet of land, a developer is only going to be able to use 11,900 square feet to build a building and parking lot. He's paying a million six for 11,000 square feet of land. It don't work. Now, you take the 11,000, I, I went through it all, and I use the old figure of 2,750 square feet. That would only allow you to get 12 units. I did the parking calcs, 18 parking spots, 3,000 square feet for the parking spot, another 2,500 for the 24-foot right away to get in and out. 5,500 square feet, you get 6,400 square feet of building left. Three stories, 12 units. Right now it's about $300 a square foot for teardown engineering, permitting, building costs, everything. The total cost of a project like that, land and building, is $7,360,000 to the penny. You divide that up, a developer's cost is $613,000 a unit to be downtown to walk to the train. That's without profit, that's without a real estate, if you're selling. I totaled it all up, a little bit of profit on it, probably with the, with the, with the real estate fees around 700,000 a unit you'd have to sell them for. Of course, that would be condos. Now you got condo fees and everything. If someone's lucky enough to put down $200,000, your mortgage, taxes, principal interest and everything, insurance, you're talking 5,000 a month to live close to town. If it's an apartment complex, You've got to get back 10% gross on the revenue you spent. That covers the taxes on it, maintenance, insurance, 5,000 a month for an apartment for a 1,500 square foot two bedroom unit. It don't work. I feel before we move any further, we should find out the formula that makes the building work. We have to work on setbacks, we have to work on coverage, because we can put this all in place, they're still gonna to have to go to the ZBA for variances and special permits. It's not going to make it any easier than it is now. As far as the square footage, uh, 2750, if you drop it to 1,000, I did that too. Someone comes in and wants to put in 34 units on 34,000 square feet. By the time you can use the 35% of the land, you only get parking to get no building because you have so many parking spots. I think there's a lot of homework, and I'm all for this. I believe we need inclusionary zoning, we need affordable. But we should look at the formulas, the figures, the land costs, so the developer can even entertain looking in this town to do this. To put all this at, on the plate now and get it all approved doesn't make the building feasible to build. And that's again, we're a victim of our own success. If this was Fall River, Woonsocket, we can buy lots for 125,000, buy them up on a rundown street, you got a project. But we're in Franklin. Like Greg said, we got a great town. We got everything here. You're not gonna buy these homes for free. And it basically comes down to, if I add another lot, you're talking $2 million an acre that you can only use 35% of. We have to change those formulas to allow the buildings to work. Then, once the, we know the buildings can work, then we know where we can put the inclusionary zoning and add the 10% in and give all these, to the, these ideas to the developer. 
But the way it is now, it, it, it's making us look good in paper and in the papers and on the Observer that we're doing all this, but it's never going to get built. And most of these units guaranteed have to be three stories in height. I cannot fathom a three-story building on Dean Ave amongst those residential small lots without having this room full. We've seen what happened on 140 here in a commercial district. Imagine on a quiet Dean Road, it's not going to work. I've also heard the 117 Dean Station mentioned. Worked out to be a good product, but that was a 27-acre project. There's not 27 acres available within a half mile of the downtown. That's a one in a million. Should be off the plate and not talked about. We have to talk about what we have and what's available. I'd love to see this work. I'd, I'd love to be involved in some type of a committee that could study this to make it work. But the way the books and the bylaws are, are written right now, we're just dreaming. It's never going to happen. And I want to see it happen. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Joe. Um, I think the whole the whole plan of this is to go to what you, you're talking about. I feel like that's the next step, is to talk about setbacks and lot sizes and parking and um, we just have to start somewhere. So that's what we're doing here today. Um, I'm glad you want it to work. So I think with your help, we could actually get it to work. So thank you for that. Um, Can I make just one last comment? <laughs> okay, just very quick. quickly. Right now we have 1,000, uh, one unit per thousand square feet. Yes. There's no one knocking down the doors. Still hard to do at a thousand. And I had this argument with the planning board once before. It all sounds good, uh, a one unit per thousand square feet. By the time you go to the planning board, which is the right way to go, and you do your setbacks <coughs> and your parking and your landscaping, it naturally shrinks itself to work out where you could never get 44 units on 44,000 square feet. It's impossible, you can't do it because of the parking, the setbacks, the impervious coverage. It's kind of like water in a glass. It self-levels itself out. And again, no one's knocking the doors down at a thousand. I think it'll just make it a little harder. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Brian, <laughs> can do I you want to respond? Can I ask oh. you a question? Um, Jamie, would you like to ask a question? What's the setback and what's the parking requirement? I, Joe, I have to believe you know that probably pretty quickly. Uh, I think it's 20 feet. Uh, what would you? What would get that? What would the setback and parking oh, requirement? I, then I be? don't. I don't think it's so much of a problem with the setbacks. That could be a little helpful. But the coverage per the coverage. So what's the coverage percentage? I, again, I'm just I'm cutting to the chase. On residential, I have five, to believe you and others know what that means. On residential five, yeah, 35 percent. But what's the solution to the problem? Is what I'm asking. To increase it, increase it to, to like, what? To what? Oh, I don't know. This is the committee. Like 50%, 70, no, I'm I just, don't, I don't want here's to. The, here, here's my point. Sorry, Madam Chair. It's okay. It's, Go ahead. It's, it's, uh, we could study it to death. The longer we study everything, the harder it's going to be to get anything done ever. You're going to hear at the tax rate hearing in a couple hours, the tax rate's falling because the average pro pro property is going up 17%. Greg and Joe are totally right. We're victims of our own success. That trend ain't changing. So you wait another year to study something. You're now you're now behind the curve a whole another year, and then we study it. We get to the master plan that goes on for 18 months. We're another year and a half out. We're in 2026 before we even get anything on the books. So my urgency in my voice is trying to say to people who are in the room, the builders and developers who know their numbers. We've got the decision makers here. 
pick a percentage. 100%. Pick a percentage. Yes. <laughs> right. So 100%. So they, okay. So that's that's extremely dense, and that's right next door to each other. And you're going to get the same nimbyism that you have with everything. So there is there is no perfect. There is no well to Joe's point, and I think he's right. You do a proposal like this in R5, and you're going to have all the abutters on a three-story building. So in essence, no matter which road we go in the maze, yes. we get to a point at which we can't move any further. And that's my big concern, is that no matter what we talk about, whether it's setbacks, we're just going into the maze and getting to another brick wall and telling ourselves we can't do anything. So I just feel like if it's 35% coverage, great. Like, we want to increase that. Nobody here is going to put What is the number? 70%, 50%? I thank think, um, thank you, Jamie. So, um, I mean, I, I don't think it's any, it's not a secret that I think we should extend downtown, the downtown commercial zoning down to Chestnut Street, but that's not really why we're here tonight. We're here tonight to discuss the inclusionary zoning bylaw. We have about 15 minutes left. Um, and so I'd like us to like think about that and how it relates to um, these coverage and the setbacks, or maybe just like, what are your other thoughts about the bylaw that hasn't been covered yet? I know like Kobe has his hand up. <laughs> Kobe. Well, I, I just think we can separate these two things. Uh, that, that inclusionary zoning is a, is a weird one uh, in that, uh, yes, it, it, it gets to the profitability, but we're saying that you know, all the other things are, can we build the types of buildings uh, that we want? Um, and I think that that has a lot of work to do, and I'm excited to uh, continue to do that work and do it urgently, as, it, uh, as, as it's been said. And that's the sort of stuff where it's less about, it's still about can we get this uh, project uh, to actually be made, but it's also like, a, you know, we want to make it, what, what's the most that we're willing to accept? Like, what, are we, what do we want that place to look like? And then, you know, if they can get made within that, um, great, if they can't, we already said that we don't want those those types of projects, right? Inclusionary zoning is saying it, it, it sort of steps outside whether it can, uh, you know, there's a building of the type that we want or not, and say, all right, if you have a building uh, that's able to meet all the other uh, zoning requirements, um, and you're offering a certain number of units, then uh, we want a certain amount of them uh, to be affordable. I think those are two, uh, those can be separated in, in two different places. Now, on the inclusionary uh, zoning piece, you still need to be able to uh, make the profit, be able to pay back uh, the bank, and, and do everything uh, that needs to be done. Now, uh, are the buildings that we want to be built able uh, to be built right now? No, and we need to work on that. Assuming that they are, or those, those that already are, which there are still things being built, what is the appropriate number that says uh, we're going to get more uh, affordable units? Now, I think that if it's the way that it is being proposed now, my guess is um, we just would get nothing, right? Unless it's a super, super large project, uh, I don't know where the number comes in, uh, you just wouldn't get anything, right? We're not gonna get uh, a six unit place because as soon as you have to put that affordable, you're just not gonna be able to make the, the money back. Um, so I'd, I'd like to be able to sit down um, with with the developers and, and, and get to a number that says, uh, you know, th these can be built. Uh, assuming it meets all the other requirements, um, th these can be built if 
offering affordable at X number uh, of units. I have a sense that it's closer to 15, 20 uh, than five. Brian. Greg just said I, Brian wanted to take There's one, one point that I, I would like to make in that um, all over the state, multifamily housing is being developed in a major, major way. And a lot of them, maybe a majority of them at this point, have affordable units in them. Mm -hmm. And it, I understand the math is important. A developer's not going to come here and, and break ground if they're not going to make any money. However, it's happening all over the state. So if we um, had, one thing about this town is we are built out in these specific zones that we're looking at. There is very little land available, right? Um, you, and I think that if you expand what we're talking about into the residential four, um, you're, well, you're going to end up more than triple the amount of area that multifamily would be allowed, and that's also going to uh, <laughs> that's also going to get uh, you know, three or four times the amount of people to comment <laughs> on it and say, "Well, I don't want it in my neighborhood." The only way to do this, uh, other than what we're proposing, the only way to do this is to actually do a study neighborhood by neighborhood and say, okay, well, this, this neighborhood here could expand out, you know, could get denser. This one over here, probably the, the units are quite a few units already. It's really dense. Do we want to bother in that area? I mean, they were doing it the easy way for a couple reasons. One was MBGA communities. MAPC did their study and they kept going back to those three districts that we're talking about now, okay? So, if you go outside those and you expand the areas in which multifamily can be allowed, and I'm not saying that's what the town wants or needs, I'm saying that that's something that could happen. Um, it's a totally different thing and it's, not, it's, it's, it's way down the road before you would ever get consensus, I think, on, on what to do in that area. So we're dealing with three relatively small districts we can meet the MBTA requirements in with those three districts. We can get the 10%, which is the maximum amount within the half mile uh, of, the, uh, of the, the zone that the state's gonna allow, if you will. So I think that if you want affordables, um, you want inclusionary zoning, this is the, the minimum impact, essentially, in the town that you can actually have. Um, so uh, that's where uh, that's why I'm in with this thing. I mean, we, you know, uh, I think it's 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 good. It's it's a baseline. It's something we can start with. If down the road, a year from now, we're doing a really detailed study on uh, setbacks in, in general residential five or or we want the impervious coverage increase up to fifty percent or whatever the case, that's great. Maybe we change other things. Maybe we can go back to the inclusionary and change a line in there that all of a sudden we, we find that there's a problem in that that we don't like. I don't know which one it would be other than the number four or five. <laughs> but, <Or> eight. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think if we push this, not push it through, but get it to the, the, uh, the, the poll council for discussion, 
and see what their thoughts are. And then if they, they say, okay, in general, this looks it's reasonable, send it to the planning board for a public hearing and start a process. Otherwise, um, it, you're not gonna accomplish anything if we just keep, and I know, I understand all of the different issues. I mean, I was, um, there's, there's a lot of um, things going on in the planning world um, that are pushing for, you know, for instance, black COVID has a tendency to, uh, you know, less less restrictions essentially in, in certain neighborhoods and, and uh, parking issues and setbacks and all the other things. I understand that, well, 100%. But I mean, there are people out there, well, we don't want, the, we're not Cambridge, or we're not this, we're not that. We are Franklin. We have to do what Franklin, it, it's right for this community. And sometimes it's hard enough. Sometimes you can't figure out exactly the right thing. So you say, okay, let's do this, and we can adjust later on. And I have no problem going forward with a, you know, five more amendments to fix one problem. But in reality, I don't think it includes any zoning requiring 10% on affordables is a mistake. I really don't. And I, I uh, that's where I, my thoughts are on this. So, yeah. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> One more. Let's see if Patrick, Patrick, do you have any comments? Councilor Jones? Okay, cool. Councilor Jones. I want to reground. I, I, I feel like my, I, I might not be uh, naming our form. I, I'm so in favor of affordable housing that the biggest fear to me is that we put in a number that doesn't allow, that, that creates houses that are less affordable. Right, so I, I am, I am, and, and I agree with the ten percent number for a large enough uh, space, including the one here. Right, that was a sixty, and they were able to um, make a profit and, and have that project go forward. Uh, for forty-five 30, units, how many? Thirty-four. Thirty-four units. Thirty-two. Yeah, thirty-three. Thirty-three. Thirty-three units, and they were able to put in ten percent. You tell us. Is it ten percent affordable? Ten percent affordable. Right. So all in favor of those, and they did that, you know, uh, essentially uh, out of goodwill. Uh, but we would, we want to make sure that just going forward, like that, that just should be an automatic. Automatic. If you're coming in with something that big, uh, you should have, you should be putting ten uh, percent of it. I want to ground us in, in an example of a project. A, we could look at ones that have recently been built, uh, a, a fairly positively received one uh, with uh, little, uh, you know, pitchforks in the audience. As as said, was that the Briller Allstate um, project downtown? That was what, seven units, twelve units, twelve units. Uh, that that right, that was a good project. If they had to have one of them be, uh, a, you know, at affordable uh, price point. Could, he, could that project have gone forward? And if that answer is no, then putting this rule ends up with a worse Franklin than not having the rule. Uh, a Depot Street Plaza. We want to say, we want you guys to have apartments uh, above it to support uh, that. How many apartments would that be? Eight units, nine, 10, 12 units? And if we made them do affordable, that project might never happen that's a worse Franklin than before. So uh, my fear is not in the percentage. I, I want affordable. Um, I just want, you know, 
where is it, you know, when you say like, oh, these multifamily units are happening, are being built all over the state with affordable. Yes, but they're these large scale multifamily units that aren't the types of units that we want, right? Those are the types of units that are are uh, are, are scaring people and pe people saying, oh, that's that's not the Franklin. The types of units that we want are those, are those middle housing, are those uh, 12 units, seven units, five units, adding a little bit here. Uh, a, a fourplex downtown or, or a fiveplex in a con converted, you know, Victorian mansion. We want to welcome those projects, and if we if we put in, uh, if we, you know, are overly restrictive in where we start our inclusionary zoning, just where it starts, not how much, but where it starts at, uh, then we, we'll just render those projects unfinanceable, and all we'll get is the types of projects that the people are upset about. So I, I'd like. Just a little bit more time to come back and get the actual number. Uh, but if you want an actual number, I don't feel comfortable with it being at five, uh, but I would feel comfortable with it being at 20, 25, something that errs on the side of, of uh, caution um, if, if we really want to go something forward tonight. Um, thank you, Council Frangelo. I just wanted to say one, a couple of things in response. I'm sure other people do, but um, there, is a, there is a provision to do off-site affordable housing as well. So it might not be in those 12 unit condos, but it might have to be somewhere else, right? So other seven unit condos. Um, and so I agree with you that we, what we want to see are these um, three, four, five, maybe even six unit places, but we need to have at least 10% affordable. Um, do we start at five? Do we start at eight? Do we start at 10? I feel like that is the question that we're trying to decide tonight. And um, maybe it would be up to the full council to decide that at, at a public hearing. So if we're all in agreement that we want inclusionary zoning, we want 10% affordable, because we have, remember, we have to stay above that line as well. So it protects all of Franklin and the planning board um, and the CBA. So, um, so maybe we should just think like this would be a better thing for the whole council to decide um, and and go and then it can go to the planning board and the planning board can have the the could adjust it as well. So that was, that's my thoughts. Um, Jamie, Ryan, is that cool? Okay, you guys okay with that? I, I do what you guys tell me to do. Um, Councilor Jones has a comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, first of all, I can't fit four units in my Victoria mansion, unfortunately. Well, you'd be shocked how much you can fit 1,500 square feet. But um, I do agree with the opinion that this should definitely go to the full council for further discussion. I think it's, it's, it's part of that discussion. And there's a lot of discussion. The, the, the one comment I'm just going to throw out for tonight, Kobe, I agree with you 100%. But as a construction worker myself, having been in business and been in development, I know what the cost is associated with something. It, it's, we just need to make sure, like I think Joe probably pointed it out the best, is that we're, we're rearranging the pieces so that A, it makes it affordable for the developers to develop it, mm -hmm. but B, gets that, that gives us or gets us that portion where we have this portion of inclusionary uh, in order to allow that affordable aspect of it too. So it, it's a game, and some pieces need to be arranged. And I, I, I think it's- There's a lot of pieces. I, I think that this definitely should go to the full council. So what I'm gonna do is actually make a motion 
to move this discussion uh, to the full council for further um, public input. Is there a second? Second. Can, we, can I make a motion to amend? <laughs> well, no, because we're. Higher number? Just well, we have to like approve it first, council. and then it goes to the council, right. and then we we got decisions. Fire, you made time. Yeah, we got our we got our chances. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, all in favor for sending this to the full council <coughs> to then to be recommended to the planning board. Oh, uh, Bruce, wait, Bruce is online. He's so I'm going to do a roll call vote. Bruce. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Right. Start somewhere. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Councilor Sheridan, yes. Councilor Frangelo, Councilor Jones, yes. and Chair says yes. So um, that's unanimous. We're going to move this forward to the um, full town council. And with that, I would accept the motion to adjourn. So moved. Before you adjourn, Madam Chair. Yes. Does that disband the Franklin for All Committee? Um, does that disband the Franklin for All Committee? <laughs> does it dissolve? Does it dissolve? Technically speaking, the, the group was uh, supposed to adjourn after the choices were made. I did I did notice that there was some excitement in the room. Um, and so uh, we'll, we'll take this one back and we'll talk about it and we'll let everybody do um, Bruce, I would just, I would say that I would love to have um, the input, your input as well on the multifamily uh, schedule that we've already looked at so that we can continue that conversation next time. Um, but and thank you so much for your input. Thank you. Okay. So um, to adjourn, Bruce. Yes. Greg. Yes. Councilor Sheridan. Yes. Councilor Frontillo. <coughs> Councilor Jones. Yes. Chair. Yes. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for watching. Thank you for everyone for. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.